Hi, I'm Bob Garlick, your host. Welcome to Season 3 of the Business Book Talk podcast. On each show, we will discover another great book that can help you improve yourself and your business. So, I invite you to sit back and enjoy this week's author and find out what makes this book a great read. Hi everybody, Bob Garlick here, and I've got Ronald Shouten on the line, and he's written an amazing book called Almost a Psychopath. Do I, or does someone I know, have a problem with manipulation and lack of empathy? Uh, And so this should be a fun uh, interview. I really have to make sure I don't lie. But before we get into it, Ron, let's uh, talk a little bit about what you've been doing recently. Well, uh, I've been spending an awful lot of time uh, talking about our book and blogging about it and giving interviews to various people. You know, the, the topics in the, in the current events um, just keep rolling in that relate to, to what we wrote about, the Penn State tragedy, uh, the shooting in Aurora, Colorado, uh, corporate misdeeds. I mean, the, these events just keep on happening. Yeah. Now, do you think they're all driven from psychopathic style management or psychopathic uh, existence that we live in or what? No, I think, um, you know, as we talk about in the book, everybody makes little missteps and we all have our own biases and, and distortions in how we think about things. And organizations are vulnerable to those. Uh, you know, they tend to, when there's a misdeed on the part of someone with whom we're involved, whether it's a family member or a coworker, in most cases, we tend to have a little bit of willful blindness towards it or, or denial and refuse to believe that anybody we're associated with could, could do something wrong. So even you know people who are not high up on the psychopathy scale can do some pretty bad things, which they rationalize to themselves. Okay, well, before we dig deep, deeper into into the book and stuff let's define um psychopath it's such psychopathy psychopathy (laughs) now what's the difference between psychopathy and uh a socially disturbed person and a psychopath and all those clinical sounding words so psychopathy is a term that um we tend to use in psychiatry and, and most psychologists use to describe an extreme form of antisocial personality disorder. It's a concept that's been around with us for a very long time. Uh, Philippe Pinel in Paris in the 1800s referred to it as uh, mania without delirium. Other people have referred to it as moral insanity. In the 1940s, uh, a uh, psychoanalyst by the name of Hervey Cleckley wrote a book, The Mask of Sanity, in which he described a whole series of people who seem to be without remorse, without empathy. They did terrible things to others, uh, not apologetic, completely self-centered, promiscuous, failed to take responsibility for their behavior. And so he wrote this wonderful book. It has, it's been published in many editions now. And then in the 1980s, a fellow by the name of Robert Hare at the University of British Columbia really revolutionized the field, I think, by doing his PhD thesis 
looking at psychopathy, and he developed something called the Psychopathy Checklist. It's now the Psychopathy, psychopathy Checklist Revised, and it's Robert Hare and, and his uh, colleague Steve Hart and others at UBC uh, who have put this instrument together. And the instrument contains 20 factors, uh, 20 different elements uh, at professional using this, and you really need to be trained to, to use the instrument and apply it. Scores an individual as a zero, a one, or a two. Zero, no evidence of it. One, possibly present or partially present. Two, full-blown. An individual who scores 30 to 40 on the scale is considered to be a psychopath. And we talk a little bit about the, you know, as an example, we, we provide an example of full-blown psychopath in the book. But really the people we're talking about are those who score between five, which you know most people get zero to five, zero to six, uh, and between that and 30. Because between, you know, there's a whole lot of bad and destructive and disturbing behavior that goes on in there. Well, let's, let's look at that a little bit more. You know, you run into people in, in uh, companies that um, are constantly hurting themselves, hurting their self-destructive attitude. Would that be considered one of the traits or is it that a person has a destructive attitudes and, and habits, but then they kind of fall bit off on other people and damage other people? Well, they're more likely to be damaging to other people. I mean, the, the people with psychopathic traits tend to be all about themselves. And so they're, they really don't want to do things that are going to be damaging to themselves. So they will, um, they manage up very well, right? So they will be very good to their uh, their superiors and kiss up to them, but pretty nasty to their colleagues. As, as we talk about one of our examples, you, know, you better watch out because, you know, the person we talk about has no problem throwing a colleague under the bus if that's what serves their purposes. Uh, they can be very nasty to subordinates as well. So if you are helpful to them, they can be your friend. If you're not, you are completely expendable. Mm. Um, you know, we're talking about individuals. In the book, do you talk at all about organiza organizations that have a psychopathic trend? Well, we certainly, when we were wrapping up the book, uh, you know, the manuscript, the Penn State situation had just broken. Uh, and so we talk a bit about that and, and what happens with these organizations. And we've been giving a lot more thought to that since it's happened as those issues have unfolded. But psychopathic organizations, I mean, if you're talking about, you know, organized crime, you know, here's a group of people who, um, you know, who may decide that to achieve their ends, they're willing to do all sorts of horrible antisocial things and completely justify it to themselves. You know, the, the hallmark for psychopaths in part is they're aware of the difference between right and wrong. They're just indifferent to it. You know, so it doesn't bother them. And you can certainly have organizations um, who feel that way or, or feel that, uh, you know, their self-interest is more important than the interest of, of others. And now, you know, maybe we're, we're entering a period where we're starting to punish people and punish organizations for that behavior. I mean, if you look at what happened with the sexual abuse of children in the Catholic Church, um, in the U.S. and just now we have someone at a very high level in the Catholic Church in Philadelphia who's been convicted of not reporting these things. And look at the penalties that have been handed down to Pennsylvania State University. Well, yeah, it's it's the thing with with a psychopathic personality, I think the more they get away with it, the more power they get 
and you know they feel that they're untouchable. Well, you know, we have a, we have an example in the book of a fellow who um, faked his way into Harvard University as an undergraduate, and uh, he uh, forged after being bounced from a very fine college uh, in New England. He uh, for academic dishonesty, I believe, he forged letters of recommendation from professors at MIT saying that he had worked at MIT, and he managed to get through the admissions process at Harvard and get admitted as a transfer student from MIT, which he had never attended, and even got scholarship money. And he would have made his way through Harvard and ended up with a Harvard degree, but he just reached a little too far because of that sort of invincibility and sense of empowerment that you're talking about, Bob, that he then applied for a Rhodes Scholarship and I think a Marshall. Uh, <laughs> and, the, and the result of that was he submitted these written works and somebody on the on the Rhodes Committee said, hey, wait a second, this looks like my friend's work over at MIT or wherever. And they found out that it was totally plagiarized and, and his whole situation unraveled. But had he been able to restrain himself, had he not become so full of himself – uh, he could have easily gotten a Harvard degree, and that would have been the end of it, right? Because he would never have to explain where he went to high school or transferring or anything else. He would have a Harvard diploma. Well, so so really, the, all the people that are, are, have a psychopathic tendencies that are 30, 20s, 15s, they're going through uh, organizations and basically fibbing their way uh, through a career. Oh, many of them are. Many of them are, you know, one of the hallmarks we see in the business world is people who, you know, claim to have skill sets which they really don't have. Uh, claim to have accomplishments that they've, you know, never, never done. Uh, claiming credit for work that isn't their own. Now, is is there a type of personality that's the exact opposite of a psychopathic personality where they never claim never claim credit and they're so passive that it's almost a destructive level as well oh um it's a great question it's come up before you know people say so what is what's the opposite of the psychopath well we don't have a diagnostic label for that um because you know maybe you know dependent personality disorder maybe i mean it's it's a trend where people don't um like you say, they don't take credit and, and to their own damage, uh, their own injury. They're so self-effacing that they don't step up and take credit for anything else, any of their own uh, their own work. Happens pretty rarely. You're not likely to see them in organizations very much because they're the people who don't stay on. Yeah, or or they they stay on in a very um, invisible position. Yeah. Um, do you think um, the rise of uh, psycho um, <clears throat> psychopathic behavior in business has is it always been there or is it just becoming people are becoming more aware of it because of books like this I think to some extent you know psychopathy uh, has been with us <laughs> in, in every realm of our personal and professional lives uh, is it more prevalent I think perhaps we've seen a shift in corporate ethics I think some of the people who are in the the workplace now are totally focused on themselves and their own career they've they've learned and they've been taught that their own self-advancement or the advancement of their small unit their small organization is of the utmost importance without regard to societal 
you know, societal norms and welfare. So, you know, the one who, the one who ends up with the most toys wins. Right. And, um, so that sort of attitude without, without a sense of social obligation and, and the need to, uh, look beyond immediate self-interest, I think is perhaps growing and really contributes to this. Well, that kind of begs the question that can you train people to become psychopaths? Well, can you train them? I think you can, you can reward people. Uh, to engage in psychopathic behavior, but a true psychopath is is generally born and not made, and it's some combination of inherent, you know, inherent personality traits, uh, off, you know, perhaps genetically transmitted, uh, and environment. So if you have someone who is a little low on empathy, just from a, from a, um, you know, a uh, personality trait standpoint, and then you put them in an environment where that is rewarded, uh, then you can see a lot more psychopathic behavior. Uh, is there any like division in an organization that breeds psychopathic behavior the most? Like I would say, you know, is, is it like sales or management or, or is it just the person that's kind of psychopathic? They'll just be that way regardless of the department they're in. Yeah, I don't know. You know, there's been a lot of speculation and, and I think some reckless speculation about psychopaths on Wall Street. And somebody wrote an article that it's 10%. And there's really no evidence for that. Uh, that was a um, really uh, based on a, a misinterpretation of a bit of research that was done by uh, Hare and Babiak and then some random comment by a psychologist who happens to practice on Wall Street. And so that was blown up and, and it made big headlines with 10% of people on Wall Street are psychopaths. Some of the psychopathic traits uh, that we talk about do confer some competitive advantage in certain areas. You know, if you're an investor and it's probably helpful for you if you have a lot of self-confidence, if you have a high capacity for risk, a um, low remorse, you know, that, well, I blew it, lost, lost a couple billion dollars here. Oh, well. You know, time to move on. Let's go to lunch, you know, and without thinking about, you know, the consequences there and, and who got hurt in the process. So some of those things are there. I, I think, you know, I, I've, I evaluated a fellow once um, who was a penny stock trader back in the day. And uh, he knew nothing about the financial world, but he somehow got himself a trading license with the SEC and ran a boiler room operation peddling penny stocks to little old ladies in uh, Florida. And he was completely indifferent. And, they, you know, he made his money churning and burning and he would have his guys calling up and saying, uh, you know, selling the stock because they would have their, they're having their own mother buy it and it's only 65 cents. And of course, then calling them back and say, oh, it's dropped to 40, you should sell it. And, you know, so yeah, I mean, an area like that, um, that sort of selling does lend itself to um, psychopathic behavior. But not everybody in sales is a psychopath. I mean, you know, you go, you buy an automobile and you may get the hustle and, you know, people are talking out of both sides of their mouth at once. But those people then go home and they take care of their kids and, you know, and their spouses and they're good in their community. It's just that that's what they do. That's what their job takes. And it's uh, a little bit of puffing, you know, and, and overdoing it with regard to sales. Um, do you think uh, psychopathic, psychopathic behavior has, has been romanticized in, in TV, uh, especially some of the TV shows that have been happening the last five years? Um, 
with people that kind of have a psychopathic behavior and then kind of glorified a little bit. Um, one I'm thinking of is uh, about some day traders. And I mean, these guys are incredibly ruthless and they just don't care. Right. You know, I, I there is this fascination with psychopaths. I mean, the, the show Dexter on HBO, I mean, true psychopath, right? A serial killer. Uh, the show you're talking about, a number of others, if you look at... Uh, I think Suits was another one. Yeah, Game of Thrones, right? I mean, the, the amount of psychopathic behavior in there. Uh, you know, we kind of we kind of like the bad boys and the bad girls. You look at Lost, the Sawyer character on there, and Kate. We're we're sort of drawn to. We're fascinated by them. It it gives us a chance. To, as I've said before, that it's a bit like watching horror movies. You know, we get to observe this behavior, be a little bit thrilled by it, without having to be damaged by it. But when these people are in the real world and our real lives, um, it is very distressing. And it often hits people like a ton of bricks because they only realize it when it's too late. So how, in your book, do you discuss at all how to – maybe defend is, is the wrong word – but how to deal with somebody with a psychopathic personality that you're going to have to deal with uh, for a long period of time because they're too ensconced in the organization? We talk a little bit about that. You know, we have a specific example where, uh, you know, we walk through how you can handle this in the workplace. I mean, and it it all depends, of course, on the nature of the behavior and how powerful that person is, what your relationship to them is. And so the first thing we suggest is that people keep track of what they're noticing. You know, the most important thing at baseline is to some self-awareness and some situational awareness to like pay attention to what's happening and not just brush things off uh, that seem a bit odd. And when you start to notice something like, uh, you know, you, you have a team meeting and someone is very quiet, but then they take credit for all the work in the group, you know, when they, when you talk to the upper level manager, you need to keep track of that, see if other people notice the same thing. And then you may confront that person if, if they're a peer. Very important to document what's going on and keep track of this and try to get other people to pay attention to it as well because these folks are often so talented at what they do that they will make you out to be the unreasonable one, to be the crazy one. And it's a bit there's a bit of gaslighting that goes on. Oh, I, I never said that. I, you, you must have misheard me. And, and these folks are so good at what they do and so successful at what they do in part because they take advantage, take advantage of the better nature of the rest of us. So someone says that to us, we may very well say, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I was, I got that wrong. Yeah. Maybe I'm being a jerk. Yeah. You start paying attention to this. So you want to document those, keep track of them, look for alternative explanations so that when you go to talk to somebody else higher up in management and say, look, we have a problem. You've got some documentation. We we suggest that um, you know you have to be very careful because these folks will often be good at uh, recruiting allies. There will be people who you know higher up on the on the corporate ladder who are their champions because they're absolutely charmed by them. Right. So there's the documentation piece. It's it's you know thinking about who you would go to, uh, and and when you do present the problem to someone higher up, say in human resources, you you know, you have to be mindful that you need to present you're gonna be heard better and you're better off presenting it as a problem for the organization. 
you know, I really want to talk to you about um, something that's going on in our work group with, you know, in our the example we use Greta, um, but, you know, whatever. And it's really, it's hurting morale and it's interfering with productivity. That gets people listening, right? As we say, you know, Greta's picking on me or Greta took this from me. Well, you, you kids go work it out. But presented as an organizational problem, I think you have much better luck getting someone to pay attention. When you were um, writing the book, did you have an aha moment where something really clear uh, became crystal clear for you? There were there were a few of those. You know, one of the best was um, we'd submitted the manuscript actually, and it was reviewed for, uh, by one of my colleagues here at Massachusetts General Hospital, as a psychiatrist, a woman, and her response was, "Hey." this is all about men. Why isn't there any equal time for women? And, you know, we sort of chuckle about that. It's like, wow, you, you want equal time for female psychopaths, but it was a great point. And so we went back and we did a little more research and the aha moment for me was coming across some literature that talks about uh, how we may, you know, in the mental health professions, we may be looking at identical symptoms in men and women but in men, we attribute it to antisocial personality disorder or psychopathy. But in women, we attribute it to, say, borderline personality disorder. So that sort of flirting, the shallow emotionality, the intense expression of affect, the threatening behavior. Uh, in a man, we would say that um, – you know, that, that's antisocial, that's, that's part of psychopathy. But in a woman, we'd say borderline. And we have a case example. Uh, we describe a woman who is conning and manipulative, uses her child as leverage against her family. She lies to them about what she's doing. And, you know, her name is Christina. But we make the point that uh, if it had been Christian, we would have – any clinician evaluating him would have said – Wow, this is psychopathic behavior. Mm. But if it's Christina, virtually every clinician would say this is borderline personality disorder. So I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of uh, looking at this from you know a more equal gender perspective. You know, th this is uh, this is dynamite in the sense that if you don't take the knowledge properly or use the knowledge properly, you can really either damage yourself or damage somebody else um, by labeling them as a psychopath. Is is there something that a person can do to kind of like a check? You mentioned there's a checklist that needs a, a skilled professional to go through to actually score properly. But are there things that are alarms that people can look for so they can start, you know what, maybe that person is psychopathic? Yeah, we we really are not encouraging people to, to label their colleagues or their relatives. Uh, you know, it's, but uh, we just want to present some of those red flags to people. So the sort of things that, that you might look for, and again, we're not, we're not talking about a criminal setting here, but uh, you know, someone who is glib and, and really superficially charming, you know, someone who has a big smile for you, but boy, that smile disappears instantly. Uh, they're glib in that they have an answer for absolutely everything, you know, that you present to them. Uh, if it's a criticism, if it's a challenge, uh, oh, well, I can explain that and it's, it's just very easy for them. They tend to be grandiose and kind of self-promoting. 
everything is about me, you know, what I've done, how great I am, my, you know, what I can do for my future. They steal credit for the work like we've talked about. Um, shifting blame, you know, oh, the project didn't get done because, you know, Bob, um, Bob was out for three days. Bob wasn't out for three days, right? Uh, you know, pathological lying, lying about their credentials, lying about their expertise. Uh, you know, when we're thinking about these folks, they will often, they will lie for little things and lie reflexively, right? About things that don't even matter. And then they'll engage in sort of predatory lying, you know, putting together, you know, the Adam Wheeler case at Harvard, right? The, so putting together a resume, none of which has any truth to it or has just enough elements of truth that they can have a degree of credibility leaving people, you know, who are well-intended go, well, no, I guess it makes sense. That's okay. And we'll pass. Uh, they may be promiscuous, you know, the people who are sleeping around in the office, right? Uh, so that's a problem. Risk-taking and a lot of need for stimulation, you know, people who few uh, too many uh, speeding tickets, uh, reckless behavior at work, reckless behavior with clients and, and customers, you know, in terms, especially in the investment world. Um, you know, shallow emotions, really they seem, uh, they can talk about, oh yeah, depression, but they really can't describe the emotion. Uh, they don't seem connected to other individuals. They don't seem connected to the organization, but they can also have these flashes of intense anger, right? Or uh, they can certainly feign being romantically involved with someone, but usually for the, you know, purely for the sexual stimulation, not because they feel a true attraction. And then finally, when, you know, they've done something wrong, when they've hurt other people, um, there's a lack of empathy. I mean, they just are unaware of how their behavior affects other people and there's a lack of remorse. You know, so one example um, we have in the book of a, of a, uh, a true psychopath is a fellow who uh, was upset because uh, one of the secretaries in the office uh, turned him down for a date and he found out that she went out with somebody else. So he calls her down to the mail room, shuts the door behind her, and uh, screams at her never to lie to him again and puts his fist through the wall. Oh, nice. So I'm evaluating this fellow and I said, so tell me, how, how do you think that made her feel? What do you mean? Well, how do you, you know, what do you think her experience was like when, you know, you call her down, you get her in the mailroom, you shut the door behind her, you scream at her and you punch your fist into the wall? I don't know. Well, how might she have felt? Well, I guess she might have been scared, but she shouldn't have pissed me off, right? So in there you have lack of empathy, lack of remorse, and shifting blame for their behavior to other people. I wanted to ask you, if you do have someone like that in your life, how can you uh, help them? Because uh, psychopathic behavior, is it curable or is it just the way that person is? They're stuck like that forever. Well, for full-blown psychopaths, there's very – especially – in adults, there's very little evidence of any therapies at present that really are helpful. In, in part, maybe because um, these folks aren't motivated to change. They see no reason to change. So that, you know, it's not very promising. But again, our book is focused on almost psychopaths, people who are not full-blown psychopaths. So the first thing to think through when, when you see that sort of behavior in, in someone you're involved with, 
assuming you have the ability to to intervene, which is not always the case in in a work situation. Uh, you know, what's the different in medicine? We talk about differential diagnosis. So, what's the differential diagnosis of some of this behavior? And it can range from reactions to medications to uh, medical conditions, other psychiatric conditions. So there are a number of ways to approach that. So if you can get the person's attention and get them to a, a mental health professional who's familiar with these issues, you're partway down the road because at least they're willing to go. And then you, know, you do the workup and you try and sort out what's involved. Uh, in many cases though, you know, when people are further along out on the psychopathy spectrum, you may not be able to do anything. And the best thing is just to get away. And if it's in the workplace, you may need to find yourself a new job or just lie low or get yourself transferred. If it's a domestic situation, you may need just to get out of that relationship. Mm. Um, one final question. Is uh, psychopathic behavior a genetic disorder? Uh, there is certainly some evidence of you know what William March called the bad seed back in 1954 when he wrote that book. Um, you know about an eight-year-old psychopath. Um, so there is good evidence from the, from um, studies, especially the the Scandinavian twin studies of uh, antisocial personality psychopathy being transferred. We talk a lot now about epigenetics. You know the combination of genetic influence plus environment, and so people can be pre genetically predisposed to something like this, and then environmental influences either modify that tendency and decrease its expression or increase it. So we, in general, we talk about primary psychopathy and secondary psychopathy. Primary psychopathy, exactly that, something that people are born with, it's an inherent trait. And secondary psychopathy, you know, a pattern of uh, psychopathic traits that people acquire over time in response to their environments. Fascinating. Ron, I'd like to chat all day with you. That would be great. Um, yep, but I'd be lying. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but <laughs> earlier in the book, or earlier in our discussion, you talked about some other books that you're going to be writing uh, and, and bringing out. Could you uh, mention a couple of those? Oh, I wish I were writing them. Uh, the first one was uh, written by my colleagues, uh, Rob Doyle and Joe Nowinski. It's called Almost Alcoholic. And the one coming out after ours is Almost Addicted by Dr. Wes Boyd. It's, it's, these are part of a series of uh, books from Harvard Health Publications called um, The Almost Effect. And you can, you can read about these at www.thealmosteffect.com. And there are more planned in the series. Again, they focus on what we call subsyndromal conditions. Uh, clinical conditions that don't meet the full diagnostic criteria for alcoholism or drug addiction or psychopathy, but they have enough of those symptoms that they're very destructive in people's lives. Mm, or it could lead to full-blown. Exactly. You know, well on the road. Well, Ron, thank you once again. Awesome chatting with you. And, uh, you know, when you do get a new book or if you want to take somebody else's credit for a book, please give me a call. <laughs> I guess I should have taken credit for Rob. And <laughs> oh, yeah. They couldn't have done it without me. There and the covers. I, I did it I myself. I the psychopathy test right there. <laughs> uh, thanks again, Ron. Thank you, Bob. Take care. That was an awesome book. We have some great new books and authors for you to meet in the coming shows, and I know you will enjoy them immensely. You can contact me directly at contactbob.tell or visit our website at 
www.businessbooktalk.com. See you next week.